years ago, and even before that, with communion. Um, sometimes we don't have to come up with something new. Sometimes we have to remember what it was. And I think that's the whole purpose of communion, is to remember what Christ did for us. Um, so we're going to look at that today. Um, and in my mind, I think the idea and the concept of communion actually start, started way back in Exodus with the Passover. Um, in Exodus 12, God's freeing the children of Israel. Before he does that, he does one last thing for Pharaoh. And he warns that if they don't do this, that their firstborn is going gonna, is gonna to die along with all of the Egyptians. And we'll start in verse 11 here. In that manner, you, sh you shall gird your loins and sandals on your feet and staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, and the, for it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, on the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you upon the houses where you are, that when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall fall upon you and destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This day shall be your memorial day, and shall, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and you shall observe it as an ordinance forever. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and for the first days you shall put away the leaven of your house. For if anyone eats it as leaven from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And on the first day you shall hold an assembly, and on the seventh day of the holy assembly no work shall be done on those days, but everyone must eat than he that is prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread on this very day I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Before, therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations in ordinance forever. And to this day the Jews still observe the thing of, of Passover because that's when the Lord freed them. And it's, it was, it's a very ceremonial thing. But I think as Christians we have to realize that that was symbolic of what the Lord was doing for us and what he was going to do when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Because what the Lord did for us on the cross was the same as when he freed the children of Israel. We were in bondage to death and hell and the grave. And he came through and he freed us of that. He took away the, the chains. He took away that and gave us a new life. He led us out of our bondage. And uh, we'll look in Luke 22. The thing I find interesting here about Jesus' life is he lived life. It wasn't like he came and changed up all the rules and did everything. What he did was he brought the word of God and life into, his, into the everyday life of the people that he was around. Um, and, and the institution of the Lord's Supper was no different. They were going to have Passover. And I think a lot of times we forget that sometimes the traditions aren't bad. A lot of times in, the, in, the, in current culture and society, we've, it's always doing something new, do something different. But I think God is a very cultural person that builds upon history, that builds upon himself, that builds upon families, that builds upon heritage. And I think a lot of times we forget that, and a lot of times you hear this stuff about God always doing something new. But I think that the only way God's ever going to do anything new in our life is if we're practicing the things that he's put before us to do. In Luke 22, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, and the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare Passover for us, that we may eat. And they said to him, 
Where do, you want us, where do you want us to prepare? Behold, when you enter the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him to the house which he enters, and you shall say the mas- to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, that where is the guest room where we may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it, just as he had said to them, and they prepared the, the Passover. And when the hour had come, they sat down with the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until God is is fulfilled in the kingdom. Until, I'm sorry. I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup. This is the new covenant of my blood which is shed for you. But behold, my hand be, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to him who has been betrayed. And then they questioned amongst themselves. But what, the, what Jesus did there was he took the symbolic idea of what what God had done for the Jews of that was a prophecy of foreshadowing of Jesus and he made it real he made it life at that moment and I think that's what God wants us to do as we partake of communion is we take it as a symbolic gesture of Jesus dying on the cross for us and it's the, the the bread is his body and the juice is his blood but as we partake of it we need to make that real in our lives we need to make that an understanding of what we're accepting, of what we're remembering, of Jesus actually did this, not for somebody 2,000 years ago, but for me. He did that. He bled for me today so that I might have eternal life. I think it's interesting that um, when we share about communion, we share out of Corinthians, and where Paul institutes the Lord's Supper because at, at that point that's what we're doing here too is we're taking what happened and we're making it a tradition in our life we're making it a remembrance of who God is in our life and we're taking time to remember that we're not just saved we're not just Christians we're not just good people that we were bought with a price the price that came on the cross that gave us eternal life that was is symbolic it's just as they put the blood on their, their door mantles in, in, Isra- in Egypt, we're putting that blood on our heart. We're staining our lives with the, with the purchase of what God did for us on the cross so that we know and we can remember that we're, our lives are not our own, that we were bought with a price. So as we partake of communion, remember and keep these things in your heart that it's not about just thinking of, uh, of what God did for us and thanking him, but it's remembering who we are and what that sacrifice was. We were bought with a price. We are no longer living our own life. We're his children, and we're his to do with as he pleases. Servers, come forward. Thank you, Lord, for this time, for this opportunity you've given us, Lord. Thank you for instituting communion and the Lord's Supper, that we might have a very specific time that we might remember, Lord, who you are and what you've done for us. 
And Lord, as we partake, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the blood that was shed. The only purchase, the only price that could buy our sin, Lord, that you gave it to us, that you loved us so much that you would die that we might have eternal life with you. Lord, and as your body was broken, may our spirits be broken before you, that we would not be independent, that we would not live our own lives, Lord, but that we would recognize the sacrifice that you made and that we would honor that each day with our life. In your name we pray. When you meet together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for each one goes ahead in his own meal and when is hungry and drunk. What do you think, that you do not have houses to eat in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you not? I will not. For I received the Lord's Supper, and also I deliver it to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took forth the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is done for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Remember, this is the Lord's body and the sacrifice that he made. Also, in the same way, with the cup. Do this cup is the covenant of my blood. As often as you eat or drink, do this in remembrance of me. This is the blood that washed away our sins. Amen. All right, get the message and ask them what it's on. But we were talking about the magical mystery tour, hallelujah, that God has us on today. I felt, uh, again, I believe what I have to share today is also very important. And as I prayed for the children, I really like to pray for ourselves, that great prayer that Paul prayed, that the eyes of our understanding would be opened. I believe unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and their true meaning, we cannot understand what he's saying. Many of we could not even come to him unless he draws us. So as, as we're speaking here today, I pray the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding that we might truly hear him. Now, as we were, as I <coughs> worship, I thought was very good. Thought the words that came forth were very good because they were confirming what was to take place in my own heart. And just before I we would got, I got up here, I thought, well, you know what I'd like to do, and I think it's a proper thing to do. I wanted to get up here and say, in Jesus' place, I forgive you all your sins. And as I was meditating on saying it, because that's kind of a presumptuous thing to say. We think if someone would say that, we think, well, how dare he? But isn't that what Jesus sent us to do? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whoever sins you forgive, I forgive. What greater ministry could we have than to say, your sins are forgiven? And we are ambassadors in Christ's place. See, but we don't, oh, well, 
Well, here to this morning, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his stead, I say unto all of us, I forgive you all your sins. Wow. When as I was thinking about that, I think, well, should I share that? Then the word came forth that said we can, we can always start new, no matter how bad or how good we were. We can always start new. What a wonderful thing to have in our lives. But I don't believe God wants us just to be there. I think it's a great place to be and to grow from. And I, that's what I want us to begin to talk about in a, in, a, in a greater way. And also in the song that we were singing, the, ra and the wrath of God was satisfied. Now, that, whenever we sing that song, I, I, that stirs something in me. I almost get a little angry and, well, how dare he? But then as I was thinking of that, God didn't just create us and leave us. As we, God sent his son that the wrath of God could be satisfied. And the Bible says that when we were yet weak and without hope, when we could not save ourselves, God sent his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin in the flesh that we might have life through him. And so it was singing that's like God didn't only create us, but he also saved us in that we could not save ourselves. God saved us himself and for himself. And as we're, we're thinking about that, and again with what I have on my heart, and I believe we need to understand these things in a real practical way of what God really is having us to do so that we can walk with him in this life together. <clears throat> when Adam and Eve disobeyed, when they sinned, what did God do? Well, God makes a sacrifice for them. God himself redeems him, redeems them. But the work that God had given them to do doesn't change. We have been redeemed because we could not redeem ourselves. And like Abraham says, Isaac says to Abraham, his father, where is the sacrifice? And the answer is God will provide himself a sacrifice. And in our place, God has, has, has in, for us provided himself a sacrifice that we are redeemed. Now we have now that our work, now Adam and Eve, when they came into this world, there is only one purpose that God has, is that God would be glorified, that God would be honored, and God would be all and all. That purpose has not changed it never was really created. It had always been in the heart of God. But it did not change when Adam and Eve sinned. It did not change God's purpose. did not change his plan. Because we understand that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth. This was always in the heart of God to be able to love us so much that he himself would redeem us. But Adam and Eve, when they were created, God said, tend the garden. They fell into sin. God redeems them. But the work that he's called them to do, the purpose that they are called to, doesn't change. However, because of sin, circumstances change. So before in the garden, there was no thorns, there was no weeds, there was no malice, there was no evil, there was no anger, there was none of these things. But after sin, the work doesn't change. But how I am to do the work is going to take on a different character simply because I've changed my environment because of sin. 
So before, I didn't have to work by the sweat of my brow. I didn't have to toil. Now that sin has entered in, to serve God is a work. So, but Adam still is called to tend the garden, is tend to work with his hands. And I believe we too, as Adam and Eve, as the children of God, have been called by God, redeemed by God, and called to a work. Now I believe we're to look at that work and understand that and learn how to work with that. So in the book of Acts, chapter 20, I was thinking of like titles for the message, which I rarely do, but I think I need to, to speak some things into the heavens and into our own hearts. I think we need to have the joy of sacrifice. Paul talks about, I believe, to the Hebrews, might be the Thessalonians, that it, you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. There was a joy of sacrifice. The woman that came, I think her name, maybe it was Mary, came and gave the sacrifice of that alabaster box filled with the, the, the ointment and just seemed to waste it. Now, you know what? I, I like to think, I mean, I, I look at those things and they say great. But then I also kind of like to think like a person. Now, a few days later, a few months later, a few years later, I don't know, might even be a few seconds later when the Pharisees were on his case, she might have regretted doing that. She might have said, oh, maybe she got in a tight position some years later and she needed the money. She said, oh, boy, if I didn't waste that. But at the moment, she had the joy of sacrificing all for Jesus. And I believe we need to come and see that our life should be, as it talks about in Romans, a living sacrifice. And Jesus talks about Jesus for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He endured the shame. He endured all contradiction of sinners against himself. I believe there needs to enter into our hearts a joy of serving the Lord God Almighty and of the joy of serving Jesus and the joy of knowing him. If that's not there, we, are, we end up becoming in a great competition. Now, I don't want to make light of this, but I believe it needs to be understood of responding to God and the Lord Jesus Christ and to his call. I believe God is looking for a love and a faithfulness that honors him first, that does his work. And the great competitor that we have for that is my own life, is loving my life. And unless there is some means of measuring my life with Jesus or my sacrifice for him, most of the time I will lead myself astray. Because the cares of this life, like weeds, choke, rise up and they choke me out and I become distracted. And pretty soon, the one that I wasted, this alabaster box of ointment, I said, why did I do that? But I think every day we need to become renewed to the purpose of God and what he's called us to do. <clears throat> and the great competitor is loving my own life. And when after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find Peter, probably with the other disciples, because he said, let's go fishing. They all went with him. But what does Jesus come and says, 
do you love me? Well, yes. Now, see, yes is not the end of the sentence. If you love me, sacrifice. Feed my sheep. I think Peter understood what that meant. What kind of sacrifice? It would have been easier and, that, and more natural to go fishing. But when Jesus calls us, when Jesus called him, but when Jesus really calls us, he asks us immediately to drop our net. Give up your life. Is the love of God more precious than life itself? Thy loving kindness is better than life. We sing that song until two months later, three months later, a week later, something rises up, and I could assure you that 300 denarii right now. Why did I do that? And this is, this, again, this takes place in the natural, and the warning in Scripture is against that. Strengthen the hands that are feeble. Strengthen the knees that are beginning to wobble. Strengthen your vision. Write that down. And remember when whence you came. It's a good thing, as Adam was saying today. Maybe it was Pat. Somebody said it. We need to remember we were slaves in Egypt. If not, we begin to forget that. And you know what? The world really wasn't so bad. They had great garlic and onions in Egypt. We had work. We had this. Why well, I don't want to be doing... Wait a minute. I took joyfully the spoiling of my goods. There's a joy in sacrifice. Is Jesus the Lord of all? Then, Lord, let me be willing. Not only willing, but let me sacrifice. And the call again today, as it is to Peter, is drop your nets. Follow me. If you love me, feed my sheep. The competitor for that is my own life. And that's the sacrifice that Romans is talking about. I'm going to read that. Romans chapter 12. Because I think it's important to lay a foundation on this. And again, we're moving towards the concept of hearing instruction, correction, and counsel. But I believe in order for us to really hear that, there needs to be a proper understanding. My ears need to be open. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, hear what I am saying. See, it's not good enough just to hear. We must hear and say, that's, that's that. And I'll forsake everything else to fulfill that call. Romans chapter 12. I know we've read this before dozens of times. but I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God in chapter 12 and verse 1, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, my life here is not my own. See, we forget that almost minutely, daily, I have to continually brought back to realize, and this is the warfare, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God. Peter, what are you going back fishing for? Your life is not your own. Now, there's a difference between this sin, and I, now please hear me because I don't want to make light of sin. But sin is a dead issue with God. It was crucified 2,000 years ago in his son on the cross. He has forgiven all our sins. All your sins are forgiven. Now, if you do sin, just like Adam sinned, there's going to be consequences that end up in the garden. But Jesus is the answer for all our sins. Your sins are forgiven. If Jesus And the John says, if you do sin... After you've come to Jesus, you can still come to him and confess your sin, and he's just and able to forgive. Sin is not what stops the church. The devil was beat, totally defeated on the cross. 
But what Jesus warns us about and what he says, if you want to be my disciples, I must despise my life and sacrifice my life to fulfill his call and his vision. The great competitor is not sin, but it's me. It's my life. It's my ideas. And the only way that we are going to fulfill God's purpose is by sacrificing my life. And what is it is a living sacrifice. The sacrifice that says, I heard that. I'll do that. Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your life. And when he's asking that, he asks him to sac- offer up his only son, Isaac. We go, man, I don't... Now, what he really had to wrestle in his own mind is this concept, how, get God, how dare God ask me to do that? This is my dreams. This is my hope. This is what I believed in. But yet he moved with fear and moved ahead to that. And God is asking to, to each one of us and saying, be this living sacrifice. A, sa- a life that is lived in accordance and under God's authority that is moving along to fulfill God's purpose. And I'm talking about purpose because I believe... <laughs> The Bible talks about in Proverbs that without a vision, people cast off restraint. And I think much of the church, and even in our own lives over a course of time, the vision kind of seems so distant, and maybe we tried to fulfill it and tried to fulfill it, and it never comes to pass. And we think, oh my goodness, no vision. And where there is no vision, you'll find out whatever what comes up. Your own life creeps up. Nothing wrong with what we're doing necessarily. Could be. But not, man, I think, I, and Jesus becomes... A little distant image instead of people that are violently storming the gates of hell fulfilling the promise of God and have being a living sacrifice we're letting Jesus be the sacrifice and we pursue our own lives this is not the call of God in us <clears throat> present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service now let's turn to the book of Acts Acts chapter 20 And as I read this, I was reading in a, in a book the other day. When a person does no, does, has no call, see, if you have no call, no vision, no purpose in life, it's easy to serve God. But when the vision of God grabs hold of you, if you are a person with a call, you will find all hell busts against you. When Jesus came down, the devil tempted him. He was hit on every hand because he had a call and a destiny to fulfill. Yes, it would be easier not to have a call. Paul said it'd be easy. I just, I just compromise a little bit here. But he had a call of God. And I want you to make your calling and election sure. Because without a calling, without a vocation, without a vision, there can be really no sacrifice. And I believe we need to, <clears throat> I believe for me, I need, need to be loving Jesus and saying, Lord, you've called me. We have a great purpose and a great vision. Now, <clears throat> if I lie, does that make God a liar? If I do something against the word of God, does it make his word not true? No. This word is true. 
no matter what else takes place. See, if you, you know, if someone is unfaithful, does that make God's word unfaithful? No. But it would be easy. Now, we read in, we read in Psalms where it said David talked about if it was an enemy that betrayed me, I could have, I could have endured that. But it was those, it was with him that I went to the fellowship of the saints and into the house of God. It was him that kissed me, that betrayed me, and the, that would rent his heart. But he understood that God was still God. God was faithful no matter how unfaithful men are. This is, we, our faith is not in human behavior, but in the word of God that keeps us. Now, if I don't understand that, pretty soon what happens is my life interests become very important and Jesus becomes less important and we become what the Bible talks about being lukewarm and not really fulfilling God's purpose and vision but just kind of Christians and pretty much then we're not moved by the will of God we're pretty much moved by what what we like but I think we need to come back to a place of the joy of sacrifice you know, today my life is not my own. Today my life belongs to Jesus. There is a plan and an order, and my steps are ordered by the Lord. Lord, how would you like me to live? And I can look back, as we shared last week a little bit, these areas that were just sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And, not, and they're going to be... Now, if, you, if sacrifice doesn't hurt you or cost you a lot, it's really not a sacrifice. Abraham did not want to get rid of Ishmael. God said, get rid of, put him out. He went through great pains. There needs to be an understanding that our life is a living sacrifice. And the thing that makes it so hard is the love of my own life. The reason I really don't want to do this is not all the reasons. It's just I, I am I. I want to do what I want to do. This is the nature of sin. This is the nature of selfishness. And it must be broken or at least channeled to where that doesn't rule my life. Now, Paul here is talking, he's actually talking to the Christian brethren. I think we mostly know the story, he's going to Jerusalem, and a prophet comes to him, a man of God. A man of God has a word from the Lord. This is a genuine word from God. <coughs> and he speaks to Paul, and he tells Paul, don't, well, basically, he, this, is, this is what the word of the Lord is. The word of the Lord is don't, the word of the Lord is not don't go to Jerusalem. See, but the word of the Lord is, basically, he makes a production out of it. Takes the belt off and, and grabs his hands and says, whosoever girdle this is, so he shall be taken bound to Jerusalem. That is the word of the Lord. Now, now again, we get the word of the Lord, but we like to add what the interpretation is. The word of the Lord came true. He's going to go bound and be a prisoner in Jerusalem. After the word of the Lord, human sympathy kicks in. Now, this is something we have to battle. I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was speaking with the Lord, I think it was this morning, it might have been last night, I'd be kind of like not sleeping real well. I was, I was not really whining, but no, I wasn't whining at all. I was just having a talk with the Lord. But eventually, my talks with the Lord end up in self-pity. And I was kind of talking to him. I said, you know, I really was thinking about some situation. Or th I said, you know, I really would like to be there again. And I, I kind of felt the closeness of the Lord. And it was kind of like, you're not there anymore. That's not where you are. Now, 
don't do that. But see, I would like to have that human sympathy. See, human sympathy makes you feel good. Human sympathy might actually give you, may, might actually let you give a bum a buck or two. That's what it might make me do. Might, you might give five or six dollars. But that's, there's, no, there's no salvation in that. It might be nice to do. But if it's just to make you feel good, you've missed it. You might, you might be doing just living in sin. Because all that does not glorify Jesus is sin, is not the will of God. And so Paul says, now this is the answer. Paul, and they say, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And many times we're going to have the word of the Lord come in our midst. And I'll tell you, you know, I had a, I had a brother that, that uh, he got saved in, in, in Vaughn with us, came to the Lord, was mighty in God, did a great work. Finally, lived now in, in Canada, came down. You all know who it is. <clears throat> but he, met, he said something, and he left, not in a huff or anything, he just left, and I asked him why, and he basically said, you're too strict. How many people said amen in their heart? Well, if you did, first off, you don't know me, and second off, I'm just going to say it boldly, you don't love Jesus. Yeah. My wife is just too strict. You know, Disneyland is just too strict. You have to wait in line for two and a half hours. You never, this is too strict. You actually paid money to go there because there's something you wanted. See, if I begin to look at the church or my life, my wife, my family, as too binding on me, then pretty soon what happens is, oh, man, every time you look at your wife, there's this, ah, she's just telling me what my husband is. There's got to be a place that, I, oh, wait a minute, God is working in my life. I'm going to willingly grab hold of this. See? And I began to think about that. I meditate on this. Am I really too strict? Well, I'm going to say I'm probably not strict enough. See? How many people here have ever been forced to do anything? Now, you might think you have. How many people have been forced to walk with Jesus? Yeah. How many have been forced to be baptized? Anybody forced to be here this morning? Well, I hope there is a force that's working on you called the Holy Spirit. But Jesus never forces. But just because he doesn't force doesn't mean it's not correct. There's going to become an accounting time. But I believe the love of God is going to once should constrain us to say, you know what? The only reason it seems like force is because there's a competition going on in my life. I really want to, I really love the garlics and leeks more than God. And I got to make a decision. God is more valuable than all those things. And so in, in, the, in the book of Acts, Paul's going to come to this, this place of they're saying, oh, please don't go to, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get beaten. You might get killed. It's a bad deal. Many times, I think we look at our lives and we want to say, what am I doing? What am I accomplishing? I'm of no value. There's no service here. This is not what Paul valued in his life. And many times we get our eyes on service or duty or work or I was saying money and many other different things. <clears throat> but this is not what Paul's aim was. Paul had one aim. And he's going to speak it here, and then more clearly we'll read it. And so, Paul's answer, let's start in verse 22. Let's start in 21. Testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, 
Behold, I go bound in the Spirit. He realizes what? Paul is living under bondage. Hallelujah. You know, we're not set free to be free. We have been set free to be the servants of righteousness. We should be the bond servants of Jesus Christ. Paul was once in bondage to the law and under sin, but now he said, I'm going bound. I can't help it. The Holy Spirit has got me bound to do his work. There should be a binding in us that says, and unless we speak that pretty soon what happens is well you know not they don't have to go to Jerusalem how come I have to go to Jerusalem well you know what they're Christians how come there must be a call that enters into your heart drop your nets and follow me well there was other fishermen around how come you don't tell them the same thing and the wonderful answer Peter quite didn't ever learn the lesson. Because remember when Peter gets, you know, says, <clears throat> feed my sheep, so forth, he says, um, Jesus prophesies to Peter and says, by what death he shall glorify God. What was Peter's response? Well, what about him? See, no matter, it doesn't ever leave us. He had seen the risen Savior. He had walked with Jesus. The human nature is a, a, that's why it says, it's a living sacrifice. Every day, every moment, there's going to come against you something in your life to compete for the love of Jesus Christ in your life. And you know what Jesus' answer is? What is that to you? In other words, mind your own business and do what I've asked you to do. And this is what Paul is saying. I, Paul says it towards the end of his life. He says, I finished my course. I have a call in God that I'm supposed to be fulfilling. And I, don't, I believe like all the rest of the men and women of God, he never quite saw that to the fulfillment that we actually see it written in the scripture. But he says, I'm running that race and now it's ready for, I'm ready to be depart this world because I finished my course. He'd seen churches split. He'd seen people backslide. He'd seen people lie. He'd seen, but the vision was, this is what I'm called to do. Let God work it out. That's not my business. They well, it doesn't work. It doesn't. No, that's a counterfeit just to get you to lose, leave your own life. There needs to be such a vision in us and a purpose in us that we forsake all and say, Lord, I want to grab hold of you. The purpose in your life is not to be successful. The purpose in your life is not to be of service. The purpose of your life is not to be useful. The purpose of your life really isn't even to preach the gospel. We'll get to that. The purpose of your life, and Paul says here, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things which will befall me. I'm going to step out on these things, not knowing what's going to befall me. Like Peter, step out on the water. He didn't know if he'd sink, didn't know if he'd swim, kind of made it a little ways, had some problems. Jesus was there, hallelujah. But as you step out, guess what's going to happen? He says, I don't know what's waiting for me there, but I do know one thing by this spirit that binds me. He's already told me. Save the Holy Spirit has made witness to me that wherever city I go, I'm going to be afflicted there. Well, what does he say? Well, you know, I think I'll just live in a cave then. I'm not going to go to no city get beat up. Because the love of God was more precious than life itself. I realize my life is not my own. And if God wants to use me in that city to preach the gospel and have my brains beat out, hallelujah, I'm ready to do that. 
says, I have a witness from the Holy Spirit. And the witness isn't, I'm going to be a great apostle. The witness isn't that I'm going to be a great millionaire. The witness is that I'm going to fulfill. The witness is my life is not my own. God, do with it what you want. Shape it in your form. Let me deny myself. Now, but none of these things move me. Do you have some things in your life that move you? Maybe what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. This is what Jesus talked about. Because again, if we don't understand the purpose of God, we miss the vision and the work of God. And so we don't know what we're doing. But there is a work that, and a vision that needs to be accomplished. The purpose hasn't changed. None of these things move me. We need to be people that are caught up in the lordship of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and have a vision and a call to do his work. This work of God, like I said, when sin came into the world, it changed Adam's work. It did not change the purpose of God. That's why Jesus doesn't talk about great, wonderful, swelling things. He doesn't tell us when he's coming back and what the mystery of tongues and all. He says, don't be like the rest of the Gentiles. Don't think about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Oh, now, how much, how, now I'm just, this has got to be reality. Because people are led about by the nose by these things. Having food and raiment, the Bible says, be content. Let's start letting Jesus run our lives. So, we are to deal with this. God is dealing, remember the great the magical mystery tour. God is a mystery, but he's going to work it out in things that don't seem like him. What do you mean go, I preach the gospel? If I go to preach the gospel, I would think, I would think thousands of people get saved, and they'll say, well, I praise God, hallelujah. didn't happen to Jesus. It didn't happen to him. It's not going to happen to you. We should not be above our master, but as him. None of these things move me. He's made a decision. Now, do you don't think he was touched by that? Do you don't think he was scared at times? Do you don't think he cried at times? I think he did. He said, none of these things move me. I've already made a decision, so whatever comes my way, I know what road to take. This is what Paul esteemed high in his life. This is what he set his life to be. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. I don't value my own life. I don't value what I desire to do. That I might finish my course with what? Joy, hallelujah. I think most of the time that we're not joyful is, and Oswald Chambers says this, there's either lust in our life that we fulfilled or lust in our life we didn't fulfill. Sometimes it's looking through the candy store window going, boy, I wish I could have that candy. Mom and dad don't let me eat it, but I really want it. This is really a bad deal. Paul looked at that and said, garbage compared to knowing him. I've already, I don't love my life. And there's going to come things in the kingdom and in the work that in this age, through the sweat of your brow, through the toil, we're going to fulfill God's purpose. He is the redeemer. He saved us by himself and that we could not save ourselves. But now he's saying, do you love me? Do you love me more than your very life existence? Do you love the kingdom of God and my purpose? Then don't count your life dear unto yourself so that I might finish my course with joy. Hallelujah. There needs to be some joy and sacrifice. I was listening to a 
something on the History Channel a while ago. It was about the pilgrims when they first landed to America. They had a tremendously terrible time. And they found some diaries of that. And it really troubled me. Because the man, his, his wife died of cholera and so forth and so on. And people were dying just by the dozens over there. And the diary said, and it's today we lost, well, I'm just going to say, 10 people. And so that seemed right in the sight of God. That offended me. Now, I'm sure he'd cry. I'm sure he had some, see, not like, oh, well, you just don't feel anything. No, I feel it plenty. But my life is not run by my feelings. I have a purpose and a vision. And my life now is not to be a wonderful glory. And I'm looking good. But it's a sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. What does it seem good for God to do in your life today, Abraham? <clears throat> and the ministry which I have received of the Lord to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Let's turn to Philippians quickly. So his, one of his main goals, or the way he viewed his life, was not to have his life dear unto himself. And the great competitor of the vision and purpose of God is the loving of your life. And that's where God calls us to sacrifice. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 7. But what things were gain unto me, those I count for loss. See, I don't think, I think he's writing this in a place of faith. There's going to come things that you're going to have to lose you're just, and to get the work of God done. See, the vision is going to take on some form. Nehemiah, great vision. Let's build the walls of Jerusalem. Boy, I think people got excited about that. The excitement wore off quickly when they went to Jerusalem. They said they wept over the city. What They didn't realize it was such a mess. Stones burnt, ashes, garbage everywhere. People live in places. Animals there. They wept over it and said, man, the work is too big. Not only from the outside did the enemy come and say, we're not going to let these people build, but problems also from the inside. And quickly, if that vision was real, what were these people called to do? Sacrifice. They sacrificed their normal life. They sacrificed their life in Babylon. They sacrificed everything that God's work would be done. If God's work is bigger than you, which it is, but if you see it, then no sacrifice is too great. I want to take with, I finish my course with joy. Lord, what do you want me to do? Work on me. This idea of be made a disciple. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's going to come a time, well, I'm just not going to offer up my son. I've done enough. You don't have to offer up your son. You're going to miss out on something. You took back your life. As I was thinking on these things, I was thinking back, talk to you a little about when you know, early got saved and we started, a, you know, Gospel Outreach started a service master franchise. I was made the manager, overseer, the whole thing. Ended up having, I don't know, tremendous amounts of money, people working, dozens of, dozens of people working, being put to work. A great name. Do you know what I got from that business? I got nothing. No money, no monetary value. Kind of like the alabaster box. You know, I, we built a business. You know, I, and, I could, and there's been several things like that that's happened to me. I had houses put in my name because I was considered at some point faithful enough because they didn't want to trust the church. But I never got any money for those things. I could have. Now, that wouldn't have been right. You know, 
people get funny ideas. And I began to think, you know, then people started, to, they, wanted, they wanted to buy, they bought their businesses from, you know, they wanted to separate. And I didn't even get considered. It's probably a good thing because I wouldn't have known what to do with it anyway. But I look back on that and say, you know what, man, what a waste. I could have made a lot of money. Wait a minute, that's not why I was doing it. I wasn't doing it to make a lot of money. I was doing it on the sacrifice for Jesus. I was doing it to build the kingdom. I was doing it for, hallelujah, if we could do that again, let's do it again. Let me, there's one, there's, like I said, there's one thing that I know, wherever we go, there's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be some punishment. There's going to be some, Lord, but your gospel is sweeter than anything else. I believe we need to start doing that here and now in the real life. Sacrifice has to be something real. It has to be something that my life is changed. Elisha and Elijah, his life was changed, not by God, but by the vision that was spoken to him and his pursuit of that vision. See, it was like, yes, hallelujah. Without a vision, I mean, I would have got saved, and I think, I, well, I left right away. But it would have been, what, I mean, say, I don't know what saved me. Oh, Abraham, Adam, this is what you do. Tend the garden, work like this, do the, these things. But I never did this. I don't want to do that. That would be the killing of my dream. Yes. That's exactly what needs to happen. Not getting a lot of amens. Because some of us, we got some other dreams around, don't we? We might even be dreaming something godly, like Isaac. God says, give me him. But, but, let me change your life in a way you don't understand. I'm suffering a loss of all things and count them but dung. Do we look at our life in that manner? Well, if, I think if we took that, at least mindset, when we were asked to do something, guess what? We, okay, well, yeah, dung. That's, you know, something I'm not carrying around. Don't see many of you bringing it to church today. It's like you got rid of it. Well, no, it's this. Is, well, what do you, this is my life. God views our life without him and anything apart from him as a waste, as garbage. There is no goodness. What if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? There is of one thing that's of any value. It's I do not count my life something to hold on to. And what is your life? See, if it's not more than what you eat and drink and what you do, you're going to hold on to those things. Peter had a great, Peter had seen Jesus raised from the dead. He'd been given prophecies by Jesus. He was used to shadow, would heal people. But when God asked him to eat unkosher food, that's real. I ain't doing that. I will not. Life comes up in the little areas that control our life. Everybody ready to do the big things of God? Well, here they come. And okay, we're going to not found in here. Okay. That I might know him, verse 10, and the fellowship of his resurrection, the, the, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto death, not having his own life was one reason he's living, not for service, not for dedication, not for work, not for value, that I might know him. I do not take my own life back again. And I'm going to fellowship in his power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The joy of sacrifice. And being aware of the great competitor. 
Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians 12. I'm going to start in verse 9 because he mentions the same thing there as he does in the verse that I want to read. We know this thing. <coughs> Paul is having some problems in his, in his real life. In his real life. He's having real emotional distress. Not some hokey-dokey stuff. He's having a problem with real life. This is where God wants to live. The word became flesh and dwelt among us in our real life. And if we are not a people of unity and of purpose, our real lives are untouched and we go away from Jesus unchanged. And we live pretty much our own life. We're like a hot cross bun. Do you know what a hot cross bun is? A hot cross bun is a cake, well, at least without the cross. Uh, you, used to, you read them in Jeremiah and so forth and so on. The bun, they used to offer up dough cakes to the God of Esther. And that's what they did. And when the Christians, became, when, when they, they brought these idols back into the church, I mean, they didn't want to lose people in the church. So we said, you know, you can't do that. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to get rid of that belief. We're just going to put a cross on it. And that's why you have a hot cross bun. Nothing has changed in their life except you put a cross on it. I, don't, I think Jesus doesn't need a bun to put a cross on. Just the cross needs to stand. Yeah. Our lives need to be changed. So he had some real issues. He had a messenger from Satan, and he was going through it. And then and he prayed. He wanted, to, he wanted that to stop. And many times if it doesn't stop, you know what? We take our cross bun and go home. We believe God's not faithful. God has got another vision in mind for your life, which he bought and he owns. He says, my grace, God answers Paul's prayer. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made weakness, made perfect in weakness. Many times God will answer your prayer with a very clear answer. No, I don't want you to do that. And he gives them the, my grace is sufficient in weakness. Therefore, Paul says most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities. I'm going to find some joy in serving God. I'm going to find some joy in sacrificing. I, again, don't want to pick up my own life. I wish he'd get rid of these problems. I How many people got some wishes in your life that haven't come to pass yet? Give them up. You're never going to be able to do that. But give them to God and say, Lord, those are the things I'm going to just have to carry. I'm going to have to get used to that because God's got a different purpose in my life. <sighs> Most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities. The word is gladly and the power of Christ that rests in me. The power of Christ does not necessarily fulfill your vision and your dreams, but the power of Christ is to fulfill God's visions and his dreams in spite of all your problems in spite of all your goodness, in spite of all my objections, God has been good to me. Pat was up here sharing, and that's what I was thinking about today. I am a man blessed on every hand, and I don't even like blessings. And I'm thinking, why would God be so kind to me? I was feeling good this morning. Just because he wanted to. And now 
Can we take those and return them to the Lord? Paul's vision here. Again, sometimes because we see the vision of God unfulfilled, at least in our aspect, we become bitter. We draw back. But Paul, seeing here, says in verse 15, I will very gladly spend and be spent. For what? For you. Have you ever read Book of Corinthians? They're not the perkiest people around. We might even look like in the top 10% if we were compared to the Corinthians. I don't know. Here is the work. Would you gladly be spent for me? I'm waiting for an answer. Well, we're all waiting for an answer. Paul says, I gladly be spent. That means all the dreams and aspirations that Peter had would be put aside when he's crucified upside down. All the dreams and aspirations would be put aside. So Paul say, I will spend my life for you. I dedicate my life to your service in Christ. And how do I do that? I gladly do that. Not like, boy, the church is awful demanding. Don't get married. Don't get married. I'm talking about don't get married to the church. I gladly be spent for you, and the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved by you. Wow. There's some stuff going on. I'll finish up on two things here. I believe by the mercy of God and by his calling, I have a vision given to me by God. And I don't believe that's a, like a special vision in the sense that it's, oh, you're the only one that's got it. But I believe it's special because I do have it. It's been given to me by the laying on of hands, the confirmation of the word. But like any vision and any work that God has to do, he never decides for that to be done alone. Moses had a vision for the tabernacle. He did not build the tabernacle because God has an intention that he wants us to understand that sacrifice and service and laying down our life is a good thing and it is the humility and the clothing of Christ. And God would bring about to Moses men and women that were gifted to grab hold of that vision and lay down their life to fulfill that vision. I believe if you have a call and a vision of God, then we should be like this, the, the, the scripture we just read. I gladly be spent. Lord, what do you have for my life? My life now stops. Paul was heading this way. Bang. Lord, what do you have for my life? Then I want that life to be conformed in me. I believe we're called to a vision and a purpose. Part of that vision is to see a church in unity. I believe a church in unity is people that are under authority that hear a vision and say amen I let that work in my life I believe it's people that think the same that believe the same that live their life the same not, I'm not talking we don't have trials I'm not even talking you don't make mistakes I'm not even talking about you don't sin but I'm talking about saying we handle it the way this book says to and we're going to be here instruction and needs to be a vision that grabs hold of us a vision that says this church will be in, uh, what, one with one, will be in unity. 
I don't care if I've never seen it. I don't care if I never will see it. And sometimes I get tired. I get tired of not seeing it. I get tired of the betrayal. I get tired of seeing people. But you know what? It doesn't make his word any less true. And it's not up to me to bring that to pass. It's up to me to preach the word and to say, brothers, sisters, here is what God is saying. And it's up to you to say, that's right. Or, Man, I, just, I don't see that at all. Or if you don't see that at all, God bless you. But if you do see it, then our lives need to be conformed to that. Then you, that's why I'm saying then, then instruction and counsel take on a purpose. But if there is no vision, there'd be no part to even hear anything further. I want to see a church that's walking in unity, that's growing in discipleship, that's going into all the world to preach the gospel. Now, if that vision's there in your heart, then there's going to come times you're going to hear things. You're going to come, just like I said, I heard, man, you should work in a donut shop, and you should go to service. Now. You should. And that caused my life to change in ways that I could never dream. Will you put this down, Peter? Will you put that down, Paul? Will you lift this up, Abraham? Will you... There's going to be a competition with your life. And like I said, many of the decisions that Abraham would have made, I look back, and, and the reason I'm, I, I want to put my name in there is because I'll tell you why. Let's, put the, let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, and then we'll probably end there. I think it's one of the things that we fail to really see in our lives when these great crossroads come up to us and sometimes we don't even see them as crossroads. But I think as a great basis of our walk with the Lord is I must be, as Paul says, as the Lord Jesus said, I must really understand that my life is a competitor with the Word of God. My desires and my myself, I must not grab hold of those. I, I need not to count my life dear unto myself. Again, if not, we have a great congregation of hot cross buns oh man isn't Jesus wonderful but nobody's doing what he asked to do because I don't see it I don't understand it I don't agree with it I don't like it doesn't fit my plan Jesus is not a man to fit your plan you are to fit into his plan and he's going to show you what great things you're going to have to suffer for his namesake and it's in that suffering Paul says I want to know him in his suffering and if you've been going through some suffering that's a good thing but come out the other side saying yes I put my life aside like I said, the work didn't change, but after sin, there were thorns to deal with. There was wild animals to deal with. There was rain to deal with. There was droughts to deal with. But God's purpose didn't change. Yes, you were, you were born because, into this world with sin. That's just part of the deal. You know, you're not all screwed up because of your parents and the church and the society. You're screwed up because you're a sinner. Deal with the root. And if you can deal with the root, then I'd not start hating my own life. But many times what we fail to see, and I'm going to call it the this is that, we fail to see Abraham and the stories that we so carefully rehearse. <clears throat> but when it actually happens in my life, I fail to see this is that. So you're going through something. Maybe you're having to go through a lot of things. And you're sacrificing. Well, let me tell you the story of Joseph. I've heard the story of Joseph. No, no, no. You, you, you don't understand. This is that. There's only two people in the Bible, you and Jesus. The stories are for you. They're about you. You're going to go through years of barrenness, Abraham, in your life. 
You're going to go through years of making mistakes in your life. You're going to go through years of working and it doesn't seem like you're going anywhere, Noah. You're going to try to serve God, David, and someone's going to die. You're going to try to do right and you're going to fall on your face, Peter. Oh, this, what I'm going through now, all this is that. Oh, this is that. Then I can obey. But if it's, oh, that's the same old story. I can't relate to that. Then you have no vision. The vision hasn't consumed you. This is that, Victor. To go into all the world to preach the gospel means you should shave. Why don't cut your hair? Eat what? Wait a minute. Real life? Yes, real life is where God is going to meet you. My living, my life needs to be a living sacrifice. Acts um, chapter 2. I'm in verse chapter 11. No wonder it's not there. Okay, we know the day of Pentecost comes. They're, they all start speaking in tongues. Other languages are going on. People start mocking. You ever have people mock you? Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you go to that church. Oh, you do that. And others, others make excuses. Oh, they're just a bunch of good people. I don't think they make that excuse for us. Oh, they're drunk with new wine. Oh, they've got this problem. Oh, they've got that. It's just the crutch. How many people, have you had that happen when it was this in your life? Well, it was just this. It was just that. No, Peter's going to stand up and say, what you're seeing now is not an excuse. They're not drunk with new wine. But in verse 15, for these are not, Paul sta Peter stands up and says, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's the third hour of the day. I don't know if that statement would work anymore today. But this, what you're seeing now, this is that which Joel the prophet spoke. This, this right here, what you're seeing, is this being fulfilled. This is that. It's not drunkenness. It's not some weird thing. It's not mom and dad. It's not the church. It's not excuses. It's not Abraham's on a deal. It's not Isaac. It's this. What you're going through is that. I hope you're getting this. It might take another 20 years. This is that. What you're going through right now at church is the fulfillment of God in your life. The things that are going to come up and they're going to say, brothers and sisters, this is the direction. There's going to come a, this is that which the prophet spoke about. Oh, yeah. It's not some strange thing. It's not some weird thing. It's not some cult. It's not some I don't have to do. It's what God is saying. This is that. Can you realize, oh, this is the fulfillment of Scripture. Now, they didn't, they didn't get it naturally. They, were, they look at it, and what they come up with? They came up with every other answer other than this is that. And when you get tried, when things go on in your life, you're going to hit the fan just like that. And you know, well, if you remember, this is that which he spoke about. This is the discipleship process which he spoke about. This is the vision which is spoken about. Now, if we set our hearts to realize that God is determined to conform our lives to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only one that stands in his way is you and your mind, then we begin to take joyfully the idea of sacrifice and saying, wow, you know, my life is not my own. 
I've been bought with a price. And God has brought us together in the church, his body. And like I said, there's a vision that God wants to accomplish. And I will give myself to that. And now he's looking for men and women that he's saying, I've called you here. I'm giving you a word. The word may be good, but without any action. See, Nehemiah could have said, man, praise God, that's a wonderful thing. We're going to build the walls of Jerusalem. Hallelujah, I'm really excited about that. That would have been the end of it. But he moved towards that, and his life was changed. Amen. Amen. Now, that, I, I believe, without a vision, the people, they just, there is no work of God that takes place in our life. There must be something that says, my life now is being conformed. It's out of my hands. I can take it back. But I want to see God working in my life in a way that I could not imagine. Amen. Lord Jesus. Lord, I just continue to pray and thank you, Father, that the eyes of our understanding would be opened to know what is the hope of your calling and the inheritance that is in the saints. I just ask your blessing on this time and the word that's spoken. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.